Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Through the Keyhole. We are back on Sunday night, Sunday evening, or Monday morning, Monday afternoon, whenever you are listening to this podcast. Uh, uh, everybody out there, thank you so, so much for continuing to support uh, us at Through the Keyhole at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Um, helps us tremendously and it lets us all do the fun stuff like write articles, like put out these podcasts, extra episodes, um, all that fun stuff. But enough about that. I'm Brady Trantham, joined by one Mr. Matt Burton and one Mr. Alan Kinney, sans Peyton Guthrie, who is in our nation's capital as we speak right now, taking pretty pictures. So we wish Peyton well and hope that there's no storming of any capital whatsoever. But, uh, uh, Matt, I saw you last night, so I'm going to start with Alan. Alan, how are you doing over there on the uh, East Coast? Uh, which is, uh, you know, you're you're in the same ballpark as Peyton, at least, right? right yeah, now? yeah, same ballpark. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, wild times up here uh, on Fourth uh, of July weekend, but uh, no, just got back from the beach, did a week uh, there, and uh, feel good, recharged, ready to rock. Hell's yeah, that's what I like to hear. It's I don't know what it's like over there, temperature-wise, weather-wise. It's uh, pretty ungodly hot right now here in uh, the 405. It's yeah, uh, it's it's bad. It's not it, it's not as bad as there, but it's bad here too. Plus, we had some more of the uh, smoke from those uh, fires oh wherever. Oh, yeah, which was just delightful. Uh, out sitting out on the beach in the middle of that, <laughs> you know, I survived somehow. Canada, man, like yeah. get your get your shit together. Uh, Burton, I saw you last night. What were we doing? Uh, we were celebrating Madison Morris getting married to Corbin Byford. Shout out to them. Uh, shout out to Madison. She uh, is Brady's co-worker uh, and has been Brady's co-worker. Used to be my co-worker as well. Um, but Madison Morris is the best and slash worst uh, person. I'm just, oh, yeah. I'm joking. I'm joking. She body shamed me once, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> yeah, <she did. laughs> but, but still, I still got invited to the wedding and uh, it's it's okay. No, it, it had it was a fun time. Had uh, Mr. Ryan Chapman there as well. Um, so no, it was awesome. Adam Francisco, just great to catch up with everybody. Um, it was great to see Brady look like James Bond out there with his with his suit, man, you're looking good, man. <laughs> I, I spent $700 on that tailored suit, so I hope I look fine. Um, no, uh, for those who don't know, we won't stick on this too long, but for those who don't know, Madison Morris um, 
when I worked for 107.7, the franchise, her and I covered the thunder together for the station and kind of became friends after that for about the next two and a half, three years. Then she took her current job. Uh, she is the social media manager at the university of Oklahoma. And so anytime you see the university tweet something out or retweet something out, um, it's Madison and she sits right next to me <laughs> in our little room at the end of the hallway um, where I try to write all the stories and then she tries to retweet them on, on the uh, university Twitter account. So it's, it's not sports, you know, it's, she's not tweeting football stuff or anything like that. The athletics department has their own social media team. Um, but to those out there listening, if you uh, notice anything tweeted out from OU's account, you should treat it like it's sports, though, and just like, yes, hell yeah, that research grant. That's what we need. SEC ready. <laughs> just stuff like that. Madison will greatly appreciate it. Was but, Madison um, was Madison not doing a good enough job? Is that why Thad left? Is that why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's, let's get let's get right into it. So yeah, Thad Turnips, whatever his name is, Thad Turnip Seed, and um, this is I'm gonna go ahead and get this right off right out of the way. Um, for those who kind of turned off social media because it's the Fourth of July weekend. Um, I believe it was what was it Thursday night or Wednesday night, gentlemen? This I think previous it was Thursday, yeah, one, oh, yeah, Thursday night maybe. Yeah, it was just oh yeah, it was Thursday night because it was like oh this is like pre Friday news. Yeah, coming. but uh, Sooner Scoop I believe first reported that uh, Thad Turnipseed, Brent Venables is second in command in terms of football administration. He's not on the coaching staff. Um, he's basically the guy that tells all the people with the money, here's what we need to build. Here's the amount of money that we need to pump into the program if you want X, Y, and Z. Um, he did that at Alabama when Nick Saban was hired. He did it at Clemson um, when Dabo Sweeney uh, really got the ball rolling, <clears throat> excuse me, when uh, Brent Venables um, was uh, shown the door in his first tenure um, at OU. Um, so a lot of people were very excited, myself included, with his inclusion um, at the uh, with the uh, within the program for all those reasons. But now we're just going to find out, guys, if that had more to do with the fact that he went to Alabama when Saban showed up and he got to Clemson when Brent and Davo started getting that thing rolling. So um, have no doubt that the man is uh, talented. Have no doubt that he has a huge role in all that success that we just, that I just discussed. But um, I do want to point out that this is not going to be one of those things where you're listening, at least from my opinion standpoint, this is not going to be one of those things where, Oh, I loved it and thought the world of that hire. And now it's like, Oh no, like it had, he has nothing to do with any of the success that oh, he's going to be getting, or he was in the way. I've got a lot of thoughts on it. Um, they've kind of gone up and down over the last few days, but, uh, Alan to save everybody's ears, I'm going to let you kind of sound off on this first. Yeah. You know, when I I'm a million percent serious, when I say, I think there's something about that turnip seeds name that actually gives him some kind of special mystique with people or something, because <laughs> like if his name was Mark Russell and, you know, Brent Venables had hired him to be his you know chief of staff or whatever, I, I'm just, I don't know. It, it just, it, it was very odd to me when he got hired that it generated so much chatter. Um, and I get, I get the connections to Clemson and I get the connections to Alabama, but I remember just thinking it was odd because it was like people were dying for something new to grab onto. Like, here's what the OU is going to be doing differently, or here's something, new, you know, and I was just really surprised that he got that much love. I mean, cause I'm sure he's super effective at what he does. I mean, 
you know, but you know, I always say like cemeteries are full of like supposedly irreplaceable people. And I don't get the impression <laughs> he's the only person capable of doing whatever job he had with at OU in terms of, yeah. uh, you know, administration, fundraising, that type of thing. And when success or failure of that kind for of an organization, like the size of the OU's football program, it'll never ever depend on one person like that. There are bound to be many people who can step into that role. Um, you know, if he left for some reason other than he just wants to do something else, uh, then I can understand why it would raise some questions about like the possibility of dysfunction, for example, in the athletic department or in that relationship between, uh, the athletic department, the football, you know, program or with the boosters, whatever. But to me, the whole thing seems to be kind of getting blown up proportion, probably because it's the middle of the summer, you know? Oh, yeah, we are in the absolute just twilight zone of college football yeah. news because really the only thing that you could hear this time of year and not to do anything with recruiting, because obviously that's ongoing and that can happen at any time during the summer where a player decides to commit to your school. So there's that level of news that you can kind of look forward to. Um, apparently not if you're OU, but um, anytime you hear any news about your program this time of year typically is not good. So yeah. <laughs> you we, as OU fans, we all kind of just long for the days of can we just not have anybody get in trouble can we not have anybody get hurt none of that none of that shit please and this is not really in either of those categories but it's certainly something that um i mean you're right um you're right alan like it's weird that his presence or his um him coming to the program was met with such fanfare um i don't recall previous people in a position similar to his at OU. Uh, I'm sure that there were people that might have had that role solely, and I just don't know it. Or there might have been a collection of people that all basically did what he was doing, but just as a group, as opposed to that one person. Um, so this will be continued in some way, shape or form with someone else, obviously. Um, but at the same time, I think we need to discuss, like, well, why? did OU fans want or why were they excited that this guy was coming? And yeah, he comes from Alabama. He comes from Clemson, but I think it's because OU fans understood that this program needs not, not necessarily improvement, but it needs to quickly adapt to the changing landscape of the sport and how it's played, how it's recruited, how you maintain success. And I think people saw Thad Turnip seed as Brent Venables is, um, I, I like recognition of that, if that makes sense. I mean, if anybody wants to sound off on that, because that, to me, that's what it was like. OU's phenomenal program, phenomenal facilities, all those things. Um, but it's an arms race. And it's not just about having a new indoor practice facility or having all these new things. And we'll even talk about the, um, and it got released the same day that he left, um, the plans or, you know, at some, le at some level in that whole process, this was video of like here's what we would want it to look like and that wasn't actually the final um say i guess we'll get to it but um <laughs> it's all it's all very weird it's really hard to kind of navigate this anyway but i i think there's something to be said about ou fans understanding that this program needed a shot in the arm or at least to adapt to the current landscape of college football so whoever wants to jump off on that please do 
Yeah, my my thing is there's a sickness going around called homesickness. And I, I think it's going around Norman. Uh, I think Thad Turnipseed may have spent some time around Jordy Ball um, or Jocelyn Erickson, like who, uh, like uh, some of the softball players. Thad must have caught it. Like, I don't know uh, if he... Was he was he claiming yeah, homesickness? He wanted to go back to South Carolina. A, there's a narrative out there, and I'll I'll talk. I'll just mention what it is. Some people were told uh, that he simply just wants to go back home to South Carolina because his uh, one of his kids had their kid, and he just wants to be a grandpa. And somebody on this podcast may have jokingly sent into the group chat that yeah, he's essentially Jordy Ball. Um, he's homesick. <laughs> it's going around it's going around apparently OU. it's like oklahoma the place that the place that you're going to now before the place you actually want to be apparently (laughs) um like alan like it's just weird like oh you certainly needed something now that something could have just been lincoln riley leaving and pissing everybody off and for and influencing a lot of money flow into the program. And that certainly happened in that first year after he left. So maybe anybody could have filled that role. And a lot of this projection of future facilities, layouts, maps, all these things would have happened regardless. But um, I, I will say like when I saw the news drop Thursday night that he was leaving, I was not particularly happy about it. Yeah. I mean, and I think you you hit on something really important there when you said I think that one of the things that fans latched onto is the idea that you know OU needed to kind of level up its game right yeah going you know moving up to the SEC and in my opinion it was a very good thing that they recognized or that they brought in someone like that turnip seed in the first place right to do something like that I mean you know you don't just you know find anybody you find the best of the best right to do something like that. So that part of it, I think, is, you know, makes sense. And it's a good thing that OU recognized that and did it. I think, you know, at this point now, my questions would be like, okay, well, OU got the best of the best, but, you know, is is he the only person who can do something like that? Um, but you, yeah. but I think that you're right in terms of it was a, it, it was a very good thing just recognizing that need or, you know, uh, you know, and the fact that, you know, Brent clearly, you know, made that part of his vision for what he wanted in the program as well. Right. Um, So like, so that's all a good thing. You know, I, it's now it's just a matter of two though, seeing, you know, how this, everything gets administered going forward. But, you know, if you're doing this right, you know, this is the kind of thing where you set up, you know, kind of a vision and a, a blueprint for where you want to go. And then, you know, the people like a Thad Turnip Seed or something are are essentially incidental to that to gain it accomplished, you know? Yeah. Um, Hopefully his maybe he had a, like a number two in command that he was like trying to because uh, I don't know if he moves all the way across to take this job for a year and a half. Right. I mean, yeah. like, I'm, yeah. I don't think he just moves all the way across country, takes a job for a year and a half. Hopefully there was someone who he was like teaching uh, at least uh, about his ways, his mysterious ways that he goes about all this stuff so that they could kind of take the mantle and, you know, maybe put their own spin on it or something. Maybe that guy's name is Johnny Appleseed. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that, would be, that would be very apropos. No, I mean, it, it's just going to linger in OU fans' minds. There's going to be OU fans that might think, yeah, he just wanted to step away 
um, and go be with his family. And then that is just the way they want to see it. Fine. There might be some people that say, um, and I couldn't find any confirmation on this, but I was, I had read that he had had like six months left on his contract. Mm-hmm. And the fact that that video got released the day of, um, there are some OU fans that would suggest that, well, maybe he did his job and now wants to just kind of say like, I'm done. I went to Clemson, Alabama, OU. Like, I just want to kind of take a break. Then there are just OU fans that are going to say, well, why would he leave early? What does that say? Um, is that potentially bad? Um, because we're, because relationships did not uh, flourish when, and especially relationships that in, in terms of like your program maintaining success and um, I guess raising the bar, raising the level of success that OU has. Uh, I mean, OU's had a lot of success over the last decade, but certainly not the success that we want. Um, in terms of trying to reach that, perhaps heads were budding. You know, like that's it's all I don't know anything. That's just all like what people are thinking, because this is a weird story and it there's just only room for speculation at that point. So are you going to see anything in terms of the the team? No. Are you going to see anything in terms of the roster? Of course not. Is this going to affect recruiting? I I, I don't know. I, I, I truly don't know. I mean, unless Alan, like you're, you're smarter than me about big stuff. Uh, it's just it's just a weird story and it's and it's late june early july yeah yeah i mean like i like i mentioned earlier i think that the one thing that if you if you're taking this as a sign that maybe there's some dysfunction somewhere in the athletic department or that you know venables i don't know didn't know what he was getting into when he when he kind of made this move to bring turnip seed in or there's a class i mean that you're fine you're you know you're well within your rights to believe that I just I think that that's pure speculation at this point, and my guess is that um, OU will find somebody else and keep keep plugging along. Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge and continue listening to this episode. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Great food, drinks, and atmosphere. And speaking of plugging along, let us plug along into one of my dear friends who I don't know personally, but somebody that I so enjoy reading because, my goodness, does he frustrate the hell out of me every once in a while. Bill Connolly put out his Big 12 projections on ESPN+, and because I don't give a rat's ass... Um, I've got an ESPN Plus subscription, so I don't mind sharing uh, premium content with you, the listener. Um, so thank you very much. Um, Bill Collin puts out his Big 12 projection, and the long and short of it, because I don't really want, unless you guys want to talk about Texas and his projection on that, he he picked Texas and OU to finish one and two, respectively, in the conference. Um, OU, he just essentially says they've got talent, but they don't have any depth. And they're a year away from truly um, competing, which is still weird to to even say that because they're going to be jumping into a different conference. Maybe it would make sense if, oh, you had one more year in the Big 12. I'd be like, yeah, sure. I would believe that right now, but I don't really know how I feel about 
quote unquote competing once in year one of the SEC. But I mean, guys, it's just a like from what I read, it was just like a whole bunch of stuff that like, yeah. Um, I mean, the depth is always going to be an issue, but when you're talking about a program like OU Allen, um, you know, like I understand wide receiver. I understand that that concern. When it comes to OU, I'm just going to safely assume they're going to find guys that can catch the ball. Are they going to find a Marvin Mims or a CD Lamb? Probably not, unless Petaway is like the next great. You know, that would be that would be awesome. But they're going to find guys that can catch the football. They're going to they definitely have guys that can run the football. The offensive line is what it is. There's talent there. Um, there's even some young talent, unproven talent, albeit. Um, depth wise. And then you get to the defense and you're just hoping for, (laughs) you're just hoping for improvement and especially up front. And if you can get some penetration inside, it opens up for the edges that open, that makes life easier for Danny Stutzman and the linebackers, especially with how young they are. Um, And that makes everything easier for your athletic defensive backfield to make plays on the ball. So it just, you know, starts from the front and goes all the way to the back. So, I mean, did anything kind of like jump out to you, Alan, about like, that's, that's bullshit. I don't see that. Or it's just like, yeah, why did, why did we have to pay money to read this? (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, you know, Bill's a friend of mine. I I have been, you know, kicking stuff back and forth him for a while and you know he sometimes he hits me up about different things he's thinking about when it comes to uh big 12 or ou or what have you um you know the the funny part is like i mean i i'm with the ou's history for example at a position like receivers really good but i've also seen a couple ou teams where the receivers didn't develop and it was a disaster i mean ou in 2009 uh the year after they played florida in the national championship game they lost all their major major receivers, major targets from the 2018, and it was bad, dude. I mean, they couldn't get, get guys yeah. open. Uh, and then Broyles, you know, Broyles didn't come. I was going to say Broyles didn't really come on until after Texas that year. And even yeah. then, like he's still an undersized slot guy. Um, yeah, I mean, it it really showed itself on the road against Nebraska, where they just kind of they could not. It. Yeah, they could they not get anybody and, open. And, yeah. yeah. Can, Cameron Kenny was great. Great. He was awesome in 2010. 2009, Cameron Kenny wasn't Ooh, good. Bad, man. Brandon, Caleb, bad. Brandon Caleb oh. wasn't good. I can't. Maybe Dewan Miller. Dewan Miller was kind of a bust. He was on that team. Yeah. I mean, you know, Ugh. the thing was, they were supposed to have Jermaine Gresham back, and he uh, blew out his knee uh, stretching preseason before him preseason so yeah it was uh it was it was a lot of fun uh 2014 also after Sterling Shepard got hurt receiving core was bad I mean you can blame that on the quarterback play but uh I, I mean watching those receivers it, it wasn't good um so you know that, that happens and I know that Bill's over time has found like that's actually a fairly important indicator returning production at receiver uh, for, you know, how a team's going to fare the next year. So, I mean, that part of it, if you're talking about depth, I, I get it. I don't worry that much about depth. The rest of the offense, or I guess tight end would be one spot where I have a lot of concerns about depth, but you yeah. know, like I look at running back and I think that OU's actually got a better room at this point than they had a year ago, uh, even with Eric Gray gone. Um, the other side of the ball, you know, that's where I think the depth issues really do come in because that was, you know, that was just something that was clearly missing there late in uh, the, you know, kind of tenure of Lincoln Riley after he brought in Alex Grinch. Um, You know, you look at last year, they, they didn't have a lot of guys to put in there. I mean, you know, 
the idea that a guy like TD roof getting lost, losing him in the preseason hurt the linebacking core that badly. Yeah. yeah I mean, that that says something about the, the depth you have behind there. I feel like it's getting a lot better, obviously. And, you know, it, maybe two years from now, I think if things continue on this trajectory, Oh, you can, you'll be able to look at OU's defense and say, okay, well, they're able to just rotate studs in, you know, nonstop. But right now they, they're just not there at the premium positions, you know, particularly in interior defensive line. Um, I think OU will have plenty of bodies and can probably do a lot with, with rotating there. But the idea that, uh, you know, they don't have depth in that regard, you know, I, I think is fair in the sense that they don't have like a top line and then, you know, solid backups. They've got basically solid backups all through it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, the biggest thing for OU, I think is external because we know what the talent is. We know what the lack of depth is. We know what the positions of need are and how, well, it's a year away that you can, Unless someone is truly like a diamond in the rough and destined to be the next great sooner at the receiving uh, at pass catcher, um, you're a year away from hopefully remedying that. But I think the biggest factor is something external is the if OU is going to be successful this year. The only surprise in the Big 12 needs to be Oklahoma. If there is another like surprise, like if you just look at their schedule. If UCF is going to be a 10-win team this year, that's obviously bad for OU. If they're just yeah. going to have some random awesome year that nobody predicts, just like TCU last year. Um, if BYU is going to be a 10-11 win team, that's going to be bad for OU. But if everything kind of goes the way that you look at that schedule and see, yeah, Texas is projected to win the Big 12. They're going to be projected. Some idiot like Ari Wasserman is going to say, they're going to go to the playoff because I've said that for the last seven years, and at some fucking point, I'm going to be right, right? He literally said that without the F word on the uh, solid verbal podcast. So I'm not just making that up. Um, you just look at that schedule, Texas. Yeah. Everybody else is like, I mean, last year's OU team would be favored to win that game and probably win it even with as even as bad as they played. Dylan Gabriel could throw three picks against Cincinnati and they still probably, OU would probably still win because the town isn't there. Um, the teams that OU lost to, had some talent. They ended the season off fairly well, and OU ended up where they belonged in the bottom half of the Big 12. Um, I, I don't, I mean, do you guys think that, I mean, maybe outside of Baylor last year, every other team that OU lost to was just kind of better than them, right? Not West Virginia. Yeah, no. no okay, you know, and I forgot about the West Virginia game. And that that's, you know, and that's probably in a normal OU year, where OU wins those other games, that there's your like, what the hell was that loss? There's that one. Mm -hmm. So if you put in like, yeah, they're going to have like a what the hell loss, as long as nobody else just surprises, OU is going to win nine games at the very least. And that's going to help with recruiting. That's going to help with the trajectory that you spoke of, Alan. Um, and all the things that Connolly wrote about in this preview are still going to exist. There's going to be a lack of depth. There's going to be... Uh, not a CD lamb in, at, at wide receiver. So to me, I think like the biggest thing is just no TCUs this year, no Kansas States this year. Yeah. You know, I think it, for example, if OU was going into the sec this season, I'd be real concerned because, <laughs> you know, there, there would be a big time 
talent issue. I think, you know, looking at OU versus Alabama, LSU, uh, Georgia, blah, on down the line, right? I mean, in some of those even middle tier teams would be closer in talent wise. Um, you know, my the thing that always scared me in the past about OU was more like the coaching I always felt was so good that there was always some week where a team could scheme up a really good game plan uh, because they had somebody like Bill Snyder over there. Or, you know, I mean, I thought Matt Rule was a good coach, uh, you know, I mean, on down the line, right? Um, and, you know, I that doesn't concern me as much this year. And I think also after last year, the idea that, oh, you'll be taking anybody lightly this season, hopefully is off the table, right? I mean, you know, you can't go through a year like you had in 2022 and think, you know, that you don't have to actually be on point week after week. Yeah, I mean, Matt, is there anything else you wanted to touch on with this one? Um, just on uh, the Connolly stuff. I mean, like, I, I, I mean, I even whenever we were talking in our in our Discord, like, I feel fine about OU's defensive depth, but it's also I'm also comparing it to last year when they had zero. So I guess, like, in my mind, it's like some is better than none, uh, and it's for Connolly too, like like returning production I know is a big thing. So it's hard to project out like, Oh, we we feel really good about uh, Jaron can Kobe McKenzie, Kip Lewis, these guys, but to Bill Connolly, it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, they were four-star recruits. Like I don't really, don't really know how to project that. Right. Like we feel good about a Gentry Williams, maybe stepping up into the, the second cornerback spot. But uh, for a guy like Bill Connolly, it can be like, yeah, I mean, I don't even know how to really like project that. Right. So I mean, I get it in that sense where it's like, yeah, I feel good about some of the defense, like some of the defensive depth that they were, especially the ones they brought in in the transfer portal. Um, but I know that's that's tough to like really project, and, and maybe that's like some fandom also getting in the way as well, where you're just like, man, I feel I remember when Jaron Cannett committed and like snubbed Clemson basically, and like he's going to be the next great white linebacker for for, uh, for Brent Venables. Like I, I get that there can be some like uh, crimson and cream colored glasses that you can put on while doing this. So, um, but yeah, no, again, like, I don't think he really said anything that we didn't already know that wide receiver is a huge question mark tied in, you know, defensive interior, like all that stuff. I think, I think we all kind of, kind of knew where the, or know where the flaws are, if that yeah. makes sense. Well, Alan, like this is something that I've thought, I, I might've talked about it with Peyton. Um, but I mean, just again, looking at the schedule, I truly think that last year's OU team would probably win eight games with that schedule. And that's with the respect of they're going to find a way to lose a game because last year's team found ways to lose. So, I mean, mm -hmm. there's just no getting around that, but um, the quality of opponents is much worse this in this year's edition than it was last year. Um, and now, having said that, I mean, do you, do you think that there's something to be said about, I mean, this year being kind of like the first sign of like, speaking of a Jaron, uh, Jaron Canick, we need to see some development. We need to see some of those young guys that got some early burn last year that hit a freshman wall for one reason or the other. I mean, you rarely ever saw them again, or if you did, they would have get lost and miss a play and then hit the bench. We need to see development because this team can win nine games, maybe even 10. And you can kind of still feel like, man, the schedule is just worse. Like if you're really looking at it, the schedule is just worse. I don't feel like I saw a lot of the, um, 
of the development that I wanted to see. Dylan Gabriel still struggled. Uh, Jackson Arnold, when he was out there, uh, struggled. Uh, the offensive line took a, a long time to gel. Uh, the receivers did not develop. We do not know what the <laughs> idea for Jeff Levy is with the um, receivers um, moving forward. And then with linebackers, like we were all excited about Kobe McKenzie. He looked lost a lot. Like these are just things that could happen, but your team still wins. So, I mean, how important is it to just see like simply like young guys or guys like Desan McCullough develop um, in year two under Brent Venables? Right. You know, I say this, it feels like every week on this podcast, but like, I don't want to see OU win games. I want to see OU kicking ass. Yeah. And you know, that is, it speaks to the development, the mentality, all that stuff. Now, you know, part of the reason why um, last year went the way it did, in my opinion, is that, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think that that the coaching staff was kind of trying to, you know, shield some of the younger guys from having to having to throw them out there too early. You know, I mean, guys who weren't ready, guys like Canick. I mean, you know, sometimes sometimes guys need to make those mistakes when they're playing. Sometimes it can kill their confidence. You know, I mean, I'll leave that up to the coaching staff. But I mean, I do think in a sense he he they were able to let guys develop and and kind of you know watch from the uh, from the sidelines for a year when when they probably needed it. Um, so we're going to need, but yeah, you're absolutely right in the sense that we need to see, uh, better development this year. I think also, you know, and I'll write about, I'll probably try to write about this this week, but you know, I, in my last, very last article that I wrote for Crimson and Cream Machine posted this week, and it was about, um, how, you know, when you're forecasting like that, it's really hard to account for transfers. I think that there was an idea going into last season that OU had was, you know, counting heavily on transfers to contribute a lot and whether OU did, did a poor job evaluating guys coming in or it, that wasn't necessarily what Brett Venables was looking for. They didn't get that much uh, production from, you know, from the transfers. They really didn't get like, you know, guys, who transferred in last year, guys like Jeffrey Johnson or CJ Colden, they played like, you know, 40% fewer snaps last year than they played the year before. I mean, so, you know, I'd like to see also the, some of the guys that they did bring in from the transfer portal. I'd like to see them actually have a bigger role or a bigger hand in the team this year. Um, And hopefully that also says something about their ability to develop or identify talent also out there. Yeah, I mean, and the thing with transfers, just simply put, like they're transferring to a different school to play for a different coaching staff. It's going to take them a minute to grasp everything enough for the coaching staff to feel confident to throw them out there. I think with like CJ Colden, like he didn't play until like game three or four or like maybe even the Texas game. And he had missed spring too. And and he had missed spring. But as soon as he got on the field, like like that whole 40 percent less snaps, like I understand. But with like CJ Colden, as soon as he saw the field, he didn't leave. So he yeah. was a he was a good transfer, Jeffrey Johnson. I don't know what OU fans were expecting. I wasn't expecting like an all conference guy. I just expected him to be big and to make some plays and to create some havoc. And he did that. Like they 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 were fine players. They just weren't game breaking. And if OU fans expected game breaking, then they just did themselves a disservice. I think with Desan McCullough that there is some obvious there's evidence to support the hype. There's evidence to support projecting more than what we saw him play at his freshman year at Indiana. Um, and just with his body type and his measurables, like it's kind of through the roof. So 
I get it. You just have to be very careful with just understanding what a transfer is. But yeah, development's going to be key. Um, guys, this is something I, I want to talk about. I don't know if you guys want to. It was the thing that I kind of teased about Jeff Levy um, two weeks ago when we did the podcast. It's something OU fans have all thought in their heads, maybe some more than others, especially me since I'm crazy. Um, but the scenario in which Jeff Levy and this offense, I guess specifically, let's say OU wins nine or 10 games. That means the offense puts up numbers and that means Jeff Levy's name is going to be um, thrown around for head coaching jobs. Now, that wouldn't be a shock to OU fans, but we live in the era of the portal now. So you have to be cognizant of the fact that not only could Jeff Lebby leave, but the quarterback that he recruited that has a awesome relationship with him that ran his offense essentially in high school, Jackson Arnold could very well decide I'm going to go with Jeff Lebby, which would be absolute doom. But you know, OU still has other quarterbacks that um, are at least verbally committed or have moved to Oklahoma city <laughs> in their high school career to eventually play for OU. But those, those uh, individuals could make the same decision themselves and just say, wherever Levy is, that's where I'm going to go. And then you're kind of just left with, Oh my God, like the Caleb Williams thing all over again with Lincoln Riley. So we don't necessarily need to like prognosticate that. But my, my question to you guys is, what do what do OU fans, what do college fans need to do? Or like maybe even do we need to propose legislation to keep this from happening because it is such a headache. It, it kind of takes the fun out of being a fan where you have players on campus, but you have no idea for how long, especially if a coach or an assistant coach takes another job. So um, on the on the wide category of this subject, uh, Alan, in terms of Jeff Levy potentially taking a, uh, a job after OU, a head coaching job and potentially taking players with him. How much thought do you give that on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> and um, if not, like in terms of just an assistant coach leaving and then taking players with him, I mean, is that something that you think is going to be around for good? Or do you think that that's probably going to be, uh, you can't really, you can transfer. Leslie, I typed your symptoms into the thing up here and it says you could have network connectivity problems. Yeah, I mean, I think eventually... We're we're heading towards some kind of you know situation where essentially the schools are negotiating with players on what are is you know employment contracts or some type of contract, right? So, you know, that will kind of change, I think, the entire dynamic with the transfer portal. But until that day comes, I don't envision a scenario in which we're going back to um any kind of you know a more restrictive environment when it comes to transfers at least in terms of that first transfer now the ncaa might start saying you know the guys i think you know like jt daniels is on school four or five this year right <laughs> like <laughs> that guy I mean, has a that guy has a win against ou by the way he started yeah. that west virginia game. yeah that's true God. that's true man and so you know you won't be able you won't see that where the guys are immediately eligible i, I think that NC, the ncaa probably will crack down on that but um, you know, when it comes to this stuff like, you know, uh, Jeff Levy leaving and, and players going with him, you know, it's kind of incumbent on Brent Venables and the school, the program itself to, you know, make you want, make the players all want to stay around and think that OU is going to be a preferable option to wherever it is that, you know, Jeff Levy may go. Now, I know that's very, uh, you know, kind of naive to think that because, I mean, Jackson Arnold, 
he is, you know, steeped in Jeff Levy's offense, right? I mean, the idea that, you know, he wouldn't miss a beat without Levy. I mean, that's, there's some risk in that for him. Right. Um, I think that, you know, if you like what Levy's doing, if you, if you believe in his offense, you know, you're, you're preparing for that eventuality, right. That he's going to go somewhere. You identify, uh, you know, somebody else to either take over from inside your, your own shop, or you have a list of candidates from outside. Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of people speculated that's why OU brought Seth Luttrell in uh, as an analyst this year. Uh, the idea that in case Jeff Levy leaves after this season or next season, um, you know, that, that they'll have a, a capable replacement and, you know, that kind of thing would, um, you know, hopefully appeal to, uh, other quarterbacks, you know, I mean, like if Jeff Levy left after this season, for example, and Jackson Arnold was like, okay, Jeff Levy takes the job at Ole Miss for some reason. And Jackson Arnold wants to go with him. I mean, don't you just, don't you throw like a big check at Dylan Gabriel and just say, come back and play one more year. Yeah. He does have an extra year of eligibility. <laughs> right. Like, so, I mean, you know, Hey, that's not even out of the question for next year, even if Jackson Arnold stays, but you know, I mean, yeah. So, you know, I mean, you do stuff like that. Uh, you know, Kevin Sperry, he's moved up to uh, Carl Albert, right? Or he's going to be going to school yes. there, right? So, yes. I mean, he's he's bought in. You know, you, uh, I think a lot of these guys are going to owe you for more than just a relationship with the offensive coordinator, hopefully. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what I'm hoping. That that That's the fear is that you hire like these obviously very talented High, highly thought of coordinators, which Jeff Levy is, and it brings you all the positives, but there is the 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 negative that could exist of, well, if they're that good, they're going to garner attention for a job on their own, and then they're probably going to take some things with them. And that's nothing new for OU fans. I mean, Bob Stoops every other year was putting an assistant coach um, as the head coach at some other program, you know, very frequently. And you lose an assistant coach, that's the sign of a good program, but it does over time wear and tear at your program. Um, but this is just a new era that OU fans have just been kind of bitten, probably more so than other fan bases, I would say, safely um, in terms of this happening. But, you know, it's something that I'm just kind of curious. And you brought up Seth Luttrell um, as the analyst. I'm still just very curious, like what Brent's offensive philosophy is. I mean, is OU just buried? from now until Brent Venables' tenure at OU being done? And if so, then cool. You know, like, it, it doesn't necessarily inspire excitement to me, but maybe it's just because we still all have, like, a sour taste of six and seven in, in our mouths. I mean, Matt, like, I don't know. You you can doom and gloom yourself into Jackson Arnold leaving, and it's silly at this point. It's July. Um, it, it, but it's a realistic scenario that can happen nowadays. But, I mean... How how do you kind of navigate that? And at the same time, it's like players want to play for this offense. So I, as unexcited as I am, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I I, I would hope that you know, like kind of like Alan was saying, that they have more relationships on the staff than just the offensive coordinator. Um, now it is kind of a double whammy because Jeff Levy is also the quarterbacks coach too. So yeah, that's obviously who's going to spend a ton of time with. Um, but I mean. I do think, again, we're going back to maybe I have my crimson and cream colored glasses on, but I do think that there is still a really good stigma about just being the quarterback at the University of Oklahoma. 
I do think there's still weight in that. Um, but no, as far as like, this could be an important year for Brent Venables to just be like, Hey, Jackson, like seven in office for a little bit. Like, let's just, you know, let's, let's hang out. Let's, let's talk, you know, whatever's going on. He has basically a year to like, if Jeff Leppy does leave to form like a bigger relationship with Jackson Arnold, than just, Oh yeah, you're my quarterback. Like I'm going to focus on the defense and you know all this stuff. I think he's better at relationships than that. And as far as like Jeff Lebby goes, I think that he has, he actually has like a good uh, person to look at and, and to talk to about just taking a job, like not taking any job. Like that's what Brent did forever. Like he's like, no, I'm not taking just any job. I'm going to take a job that's right for me and the, like a good job at OU. Uh, so that's my thing. Like, like I don't see Jeff Levy leaving to go co- be the head coach at Northern Illinois. Like no shade to Northern Illinois. I just don't think he's going to I don't think Jeff Levy's going to take a job just to take a job. Like like if Mississippi State came open, then yeah, I could see him maybe leaving for like a Mississippi State, something like that, uh, yeah. SEC school, you know, I, I could see him doing that. So I think that Brent could just be like, "Hey man, like don't take just any job. Like don't take just just any job just to get your head coaching uh, career started. Um, but I don't know, man. And, and again, if Jackson Arnold does leave, we're going way into hypotheticals here, but like if he, if he does want to leave, just play for Jeff Lebby, then that, I just, I, I don't get that. Right. I, I get committing to a school, like you're supposed to commit to a school, but in reality they do commit to coaches. So, I mean, if he does end up leaving, then that's just, I, I feel like that's more on like Brent and everyone else around him. Just be like, Hey, like they have a year right now to just recruit him basically again to like, to stay. So I don't know. I still don't think Jeff Levy, unless OU does really well, you know, I, I don't think Jeff Levy leaves. Like, I mean, that was again too. He didn't want to leave the place after six and seven, after leaving <laughs> his alma mater six and seven. So. Well, from one job that I don't envy to a name that I don't envy, um, even with my potty mouth, guys, I, I don't really want to say the guy's name, uh, but Eli Letterman wrote in the Tulsa World um, over the weekend. Uh, he interviewed Tex A&M's former uh, athletic director, and I'm just going to call him Eric. So he he talks to he's, ta- he's talking to Eric about. So yeah, you were the AD at A&M when they made the transition from um, the Big Twelve to the SEC. So essentially, what does OU as a program and the fans like? What what can they expect? And I shared this with you guys in the Discord. And just basically lost it. So apologies again. Uh, but guys, we, we we don't really need to get into the meat of the article. It's just the same shit we've all heard. Like, oh, like you need to put your big boy pants on in the uh, in the SEC, or they bring it every single week. And it's just that rhetoric that we keep hearing. I understand it from A and M standpoint because this is their last little beacon of superior like perceived superiority over us and it's something that they've never really had especially over texas um when ou and texas join and even when they lose it's like you can't even still you you they have nothing over us anymore like they're not in a tougher league we're in the same damn league now so this this whole rhetoric of outsiders insiders all saying to ou and texas like you have no idea what what you're in for all this stuff it's like very tired at this point, Alan. And I want to be in the SEC now because I'm tired of it. But I, I mean, what is this all for? 
it's content. I get that. We create content here through the keyhole. Please, uh, uh, yeah, please keep, think keep, about subscribing. Saying, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's just content at this point for like no reason. Like what, what is, what are these sentiments adding to anything? Oh, I mean, it's uh, a chance for Eric Hyman to be relevant, you know, for the first time. And like, I think he said he retired in 2016 or something like that. Right. You know, I mean, I, 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 it's like the thing is they keep all these people keep saying like, oh, you don't get it. It's going to be so hard. It's week in and week out. It's a just it's I mean, it's a big challenge. And it's like, oh, you fancy saying no, 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 no. We know we've heard this forever. We are going into this understanding that and they're you know, you're not going to come in here and dominate the SEC like you did. Uh, we know we're not expecting to do that. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, this is a. A and M of all people should get like why are you doing this right? I mean, this is I mean the move to the SEC in my opinion was a has been a huge boon for A and M regardless of the fact that they're not you know winning the way good uh, you know I mean like they've it's been they've leveled up their recruiting their profile uh, you know they called it they talked about when they did it oh this is a hundred year decision I mean yeah because that's this is where college football is going you know you can't stay in the big 12 and hope to compete for national championships um but you know uh, this but this certainly it makes for a nice opportunity to like you know feed the sec ego that you know we've all become so accustomed to over the last like 15 years of oh week in and week out like every all the best play here and you know we send blah 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 number of picks to the nfl draft and you know uh this is where all the elite players are and life is just so more difficult here like it's just another opportunity to kind of i think lord that over everybody and remind everybody you know to kind of get higher on their own supply exactly this, this feels like it honestly makes me feel like the the meme where the guy is basically shouting into the hot girl's ear in the club and just yeah. being like being like oh the SEC so you don't get it like it just means more man like the, every team is just so good and the girls just standing there like yeah like I know look a little annoyed look that's exactly what it what it feels like yeah it's just like yeah. yeah. Uh, Oh, you are uh, getting mansplained. Yeah, yeah, we're getting, yeah, we know. You, yeah, yes, the, your conference is good, but this is how you get better. This is how you get better. You have to join the SEC or Big Ten, whatever, uh, to get all these players and uh, compete for national titles. Like, we get it. Thank you, Texas. Texas AM won a Big 12 title in 1998. And, and that's it. And that's it. That's <laughs> yeah. the only Big 12 title they have. Well, they, don't, they haven't won the SEC. Congrats that they, they beat OU uh, in a Cotton Bowl. In 2012, when they had Johnny fucking Manziel, like, yeah. congrats, <laughs> yeah. man, congrats. Oh, cool. No, it's OU fans know that the talent level across the board is going to jump up. Um, OU has talent. OU's always had talent, and you know we put it. The SEC collectively puts in all these draft picks into the NFL. It's like, well, that's great because you see all those bar graphs every year of like the SEC put in this many first round picks over the last few years, followed by the Big Ten, and then everybody else is like, blah blah blah. The only reason why the Big 12 has had like any representation on these like hypothetical graphs is because of Oklahoma. So Oklahoma's just going <laughs> yes. to add to that a gigantic bar graph for the SEC. OU fans know that. They know that the talent level, like for, you know, what's what's the Iowa State program of the SEC? Like Kentucky? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Like Kentucky, Kentucky, Mississippi State, something like that. Yeah. Right? Like, though that tier, like, yes, they're going to have probably a first round pick 
um, on defense, whereas Iowa State did not have a third round pick on defense. You know, like we get that. And the environments are going to be a little bit, they're going to be much rowdier. Like we get that. But OU, no matter who, who they're playing, gets everybody's, they get everybody's best like environment. We have to play everybody on the road at night when everyone's drunk and throwing tortillas on the field. We've got to play everybody in their like their best kind of performance. Um, OU is used to that. And so I don't know what Texas A&M experienced because other than like the SEC schools just saying like some mid-tier Big 12 teams going to come into our conference and think that they're going to do anything with it, like easily dispatch them essentially, even though they won a lot of games their second year in the conference. A&M's never really experienced that where when they go on the road, everybody shows out goes, oh, Texas A&M's here. Like who, who says who has said that in ever besides like Texas fans, maybe no one has ever said that, that A&M's coming to town, honey. We need to save the money and bring the kids like what? That never happens. That happens with OU. So we're used to this, my man. You you, uh, you can cool yeah. it with your and uh, like- advice. And like all these, if if it's if it's so hard and OU doesn't know what they're getting into, you should be excited about that, right? Like, yeah, like oh, like, use the helmet school, yeah, yeah. like coming. Oh, you know they won't be ready for us, you know, because of the grind every week. You know, we're gonna. Well, okay, great. Then that'll be a big win for you. You should be really excited. You know, I mean, I, I, the whole thing is just so <laughs> dumb. God, it's, it's tiresome. It is tiresome, but. We've got another year of this stuff, and if AM goes the way that I think they're going to go, then they're going to do a lot of chirping because they're going to enjoy their last year of perceived superiority over OU in Texas. So that's going to be fun. Um, Alan, anything you want to tease this week uh, that you're uh, writing? You mentioned your uh, uh, response article to Bruce Feldman's um, art, his own article where he interviewed. Uh, do you want me to just go ahead and say who you thought that the uh, or that you? guess yeah, who my, the yeah. dc was yeah my guess was todd orlando was one of the ones who guessed. yeah because uh, he talked about you know like we did really well at this lower level program and then we moved up and it all fell apart and i mean <laughs> i don't know man i think you know a lot of that got back to a lot of stuff we've already talked about over and over like with lincoln riley about the idea of culture and what it's what it means to play good defense so you know i think yeah. that this week i'll be looking uh again at culture building at OU um, and uh, you know, using the, how, how Venables has used the transfer portal uh, these last couple of years. Exactly. So we've got that to look forward to on Wednesday at through the keyhole Uh, my Monday post. I'll put that up tomorrow. Um, And it's a little bit about Texas A&M's first foray into the sec where we just kind of laugh out loud at them. So, you know, OU fans can appreciate that. Um, Also on through the keyhole this previous Saturday, I put out, or Matt did, um, the watch along, listen along with a podcast that I did uh, for the Nebraska game with Grant Benson from the West of Everest podcast, one of two Bensons on that podcast, and he was kind enough to join me. We had fun watching the Nebraska highlight game, and I was not really looking forward to, I know what comes next now. So the, the, the real meat of that project, uh, we'll have the Kansas state game out on Saturday. So all this, of course you can find on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. We've got tears out. Uh, $1 gets you all the written content that Alan and I have been discussing. Uh, $4 gets you the written content plus the podcast that we put out. And then $5 gets you all that plus Peyton's, uh, X's and O's breakdowns. And I believe he's got one coming this Friday as well. So look for that 
uh, $5 tiers if you're listening. And then if you're uh, still interested and you're not in that tier, you know, you might want to give that a look because Peyton did an awesome job uh, this uh, two weeks ago when he did his part one of the cheetah breakdown. So part two will be coming, I believe, this Friday. But uh, anything else, gentlemen, before we uh, sign off here? No, nah, man, we covered a lot. Yeah. And for July, uh, July 2nd, as we record, um, not bad, but um, yeah, we'll just call it good for uh, everybody here through the keyhole. Uh, we wish Peyton well uh, in our nation's capital doing his job. Yeah, um, taking it back. <laughs> 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 oh, that's sad. What a sad day for our country. Um, speaking of our country, it's almost July 4th, everybody. So I hope you all have a happy and safe uh, Independence Day. Uh, please don't hold on to the firecrackers when you're lighting them. Be safe. Drive safe. Cops going to be out. So uh, out on good... the water. Use your yeah. best judgment. Yes. Uh, Uber exists. Uh, make good choices. Have a friend, DD. Do all those things. We want you to keep listening to us and keep reading us all those things and keep telling me that I'm an idiot. So um, for Mr. Matt Burton, Alan Kenny, and the absent Peyton Guthrie, this is Brady Trantham signing off. Boomer. Sooner.